So last week, I kind of started off by getting into, I guess, a new message series. It just kind of worked out that way. It wasn't really planned, but sometimes those are the best ones, right? And, uh, and so I got into a new message series that I'm calling The Glorious Church, the glorious church. And what God is, was really just speaking to me and, and impressing upon me, showing me, and, and I felt, you know, spurred on to, to, to be able to, to build us up as a church in this as well, is that the church that Jesus came and established, the church that Jesus died uh, in order to be able to empower is a spiritual entity, if you will, uh, an organization, maybe we would call it, for the sake of just understanding. But the, the, it's an organization, an entity, that when it works the way that it's designed to work, when it's functioning the way that it's designed to function, the way Jesus set it up, that it is truly the answer, the solution to the hurt, the pain, the lostness, that is, the suffering that exists here in the fallen world that, that we walk in. And uh, it's, the church is the most transformational organization on the face of the planet when she's working properly. And there are lots of stories that you know I hear over time of people who were hurt in church or wounded in church or got a real false picture of what church is supposed to be and sadly enough as a result it affects their picture of God it affects negatively their relationship with God their closeness their you know seeking and pursuing him and so you know we know that the church is made up of us as people and that we're 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 people right so we're flawed and and we're not perfect and so things happen but the picture that I really want us to see is the picture that the church, the way Jesus lays it out when she's functioning and, and she can't function this way without the empowerment of his spirit, which we have, but when she functions the way that she's supposed to, that she's bringing forth massive godly change and influence in the world. And I've said for a long time, and some of you heard me say this, but the, the, the church over the years, uh, for various reasons, has kind of lost her voice in society. Um, she's become sort of segregated, separated, if you will, from sort of mainstream culture, compartmentalized. And, you know, that wasn't always the case. The church, especially in the early frontier days of the United States, the church was considered extremely uh, influential. When they set up towns and set up new cities and new areas, you know, school would go up, a church would go up, and maybe a, 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 a store, a mercantile store or whatever. And, and so these were kind of pillars of, a, of every little society and the church and, and, and the word of God and the voice of God was revered and respected and considered to be uh, very guiding and, and leading in people's lives and in society. Uh, more so than, you know, their bosses or 
whatever other types of things that, you know, were going on, and we've sort of lost that. But I do believe that, that we will get back to a place if the church continues to rise up and function the way that she's supposed to, where the church truly will get her voice back. And, and the word of God will begin to be revered and respected and, and guiding towards uh, all the things in our society the way it ought to be, because that really is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Um, and so you know, Jesus sets up his church, and, and he institutes, uh, the, the, forms the spiritual entity, and he empowers it. And I was thinking about this this morning. You know, there are a lot of great generals over the years uh, of our country that were excellent at creating battle plans and, and war plans. Uh, General Patton was certainly one of them, a master at seeing how to go into battle and how to win a battle and how to face an enemy and not underestimate the enemy and, and bring victory, you know. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant was another one. He was a master of war. He was brilliant at, uh, as a general at battle plans and at war plans. But you know what? You know what the greatest battle plan, the greatest war plan ever actually laid out is? It's this right here. It's this. The church truly is a battle plan. It's a war plan. It's, it's a solution. It's an answer to bringing victory for God's people on every battlefront that we will fight in the walk of this life that we're called to live in. Does anybody get a witness to that? Amen? So I was thinking about that this morning. I'm like, man, that's powerful. Like to think that this is, Jesus was like the greatest general ever, and he brings in this battle plan, this war plan that will last the test of time that will always be timely, and that will always bring victory when executed properly. Isn't that amazing, you know? And so last week when we talked about the glorious church and, and this beautiful picture that we have of Jesus' church and how influential and transformational that she is when, when she's moving like a force and, and, and one of the first qualities that we talked about was that the church is a growing church, that it ought to be a growing church. And, and there's a, two different ways we looked at growth. One was the, just the multiplication, the increase of people who are a part of the church. And in the early days, we saw that. We saw the Bible says that, that those were added to the church daily. And that doesn't mean that more people were sitting in seats or chairs in buildings. It means that more people actually had the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of them. And were bound for heaven. We're bound for eternal life. And we're empowered by a Spirit from on high to walk out a purpose and a destiny. That people who, could call, who called Jesus Lord, who served Him, and who walked with the power that He gave us, were growing in multiples and numbers because the church was doing what she was supposed to do. To do. She was witnessing, she was bringing forth change, she was influencing people. There was also a component of growth that we talked about, which was the, the, the fact that we as individual members of this body, all playing a part, all playing a role, all interconnected, were also designed to be growing members, right? That we all, our spiritual health, our spiritual condition, our faith, 
ought to be consistently growing and strengthening and building over time as we walk through this life. That happens through our connected, uh, through our connection in the body of Christ to other members, and it happens with our connection to God and the Holy Spirit and our continuous daily walk with Him. But the idea that we're not a people who just kind of come and go to church and do that on Sundays and then move on with the rest of our life and invest ourselves and give of ourselves, of our time, our talent, and our treasure to so many earthly things um, and neglect the greatest priority of all, which is our spiritual faith, our spiritual health and our, our faith, that that ought to be the greatest area that we focus on, that we say, this needs to be a growing area in my life. I need to be growing spiritually. And that the world and that the enemy will devour the spiritually timid, the spiritually weak, right? Because you, you can't bring a natural response, a human or a, a earthly response to a spiritual enemy. You have to have a spiritual solution for that. And that comes from the inner man, from where our faith resides. And that's where we need to be living from. That's where we need to be growing in more than any other part of our life. And I hope that that maybe convicted you a little bit. It convicted me. It makes me uncomfortable. I can share that very openly with you that I, I just never can seem to get away from the fact that I need to be growing. I need to be moving forward. I need to be consistently walking with God and seeking him more and more. I'm never there. I've never arrived. None of us do. And so that's always something that we're continuing to engage and move forward in, right? So the glorious church, we talk, it's, it's a growing church. And where I want to get into today is I want, to, I want to give us this picture that the glorious church is also a unified church. It's a unified church. It's not a church filled with disunity, uh, separatism, segregation, uh, strife, difficulties amongst its members. It, it, it's designed to be a church that is incredibly unified by God's Spirit and that walks and moves in a unified manner. And this is what's interesting is even though all of us are members of a body all functioning together, you know, and Christ is the head of the church, the Bible talks about, so none of us are the head, we're a part of the body, Christ leads and guides us, that we're all distinct and different. So the example of a body, if you think about it, you know, the hand, the fingers, the arms, like they all play different roles. The arm, if it were moved, if you take your arm and you put it on your leg, like it's not going to work properly, right? Um, you'd be walking around with a limp. And, and likewise, the leg up on your shoulder wouldn't work properly for, so everything is distinct, but it's funny to think about, but it's, it's specifically placed where it is for exact reasons. And it can really kind of only do what it can do, but they, none of them function independently. Like if I cut off my arm and I give it to you, what good is that going to, like, it's the fact that we're, that they're all connected, working together with a head that is driving them and guiding them that makes every part function optimally. 
And so it's beautiful that we are all distinctly different. We are all unique. But the picture that Christ gives us that we're going to look at today is that even though that is the case, we are to be a unified people around a greater vision, around a greater overall purpose that's a picture of this kingdom of heaven that all of us as a part of a body are striving to to build uh, and to move toward. And so unity... um, let me say this, disunity can be the greatest killer to any local church that is building and growing. Any seeds of discord that begin to get sowed by the enemy, any type of disunity that's brought about inside the local church can be one of the greatest hindrances and one of the fastest killers to stifle the work that God is truly beginning to do in that place, right? But we have the ability... Because, can you stop that? Jeez. <laughs> Just kidding. Making me want to cough. Holy cow, Steve. I'm just kidding. Holy cow, my battery's about to die. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have to, we have to contend and strive for unity. That there ought to be a, a sense that, man, this is something that we are fighting for, that we are cultivating, that we are protecting. Because the picture that we're going to see here when we read some scriptures is that, you know, that that unity is constantly something that is being threatened, that the enemy is trying to disrupt, that he is trying to devise schemes to come against, to fracture God's people, to splinter God's people, and to create strife amongst them in the body. Because what he knows, it's this concept that the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? When we're unified and we're moving as a unity together, it's stronger. It's a force that is just a sweeping force that's bringing change and influence into everything that she touches. But if she's splintered and separated and in disunity with one another, then you don't have that set. You've got like a bunch of individual people not functioning in a unified manner together. And so the church is is meant to be unified, not uh, in a place of disunity. So let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read the first six verses today here, and then we're going to kind of break this down and look at this picture of unity. So starting in verse 1, and this is the Apostle Paul, obviously, who's writing uh, these words. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, the first thing I want to do is just kind of separate the different um, places here in these verses so that we can break it down properly. You know, sentences have grammatical structure to them, right? And so 
there, there's different components of, of these verses, and so we just kind of like separate them. And the first thing I want you to see is the beginning part where he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Then he goes on to say in the verses, uh, in verse 2, he has this part about with lowliness, gentleness, and long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then the last part here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. So he's talking about unity. That's his aim. That's like his focal point. And, and so he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm beseeching you. I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you that you need to walk worthily, which means your daily conduct actually matches that which Christ died for you and is empowering you to be able to live according to. So you say, I'm, I'm pleading with you, walk worthily of that. And that point of, okay, what is that walking worthy in what way? He's talking about unity. He's getting to unity. He's, get, he's, he's kind of building up to this message of unity. And so he's saying, look, if you're walking in a way that's not in unity, that's not walking in a way where he would say is worthy of the calling in which you were called, right? And so he's getting to this unity part. He's saying, listen, we are all to walk in a way that matches, that's consistent, that our daily conduct exhibits this type of unity that the church is created to walk in, is meant to thrive in. I beseech you, I implore you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. You know, that calling is, we all have that calling upon our lives. We're called to salvation. We're called to a life of eternity. And so, and we're also called to a life of purpose while we're here on this earth. And so he's saying, look, you know, you're going to live in eternity. That's a part of your calling. In fact, that's actually the majority of our calling. That's the greatest, like, uh, percentage overall, if you will, because that's the eternal part. This life is just a vapor part. So it's like a flick and eternity is forever. So you got to see that our calling, our purpose, it, 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 it uh, refers to the, the walk in this world that we're on and the kingdom work that we're doing, but it mostly refers to everything after this life and the eternity that we are living in heaven, right? And so he's saying, look, you know, walk worthy of this because once you step into salvation, once you step into a place where your eternal life is secured, you still have a life of great works, of great things to do. You individually are equipped for, but you've been positioned in a body, in a team, in a place where you're kind of all designed to work together and move together, function individually, but also as a unit at the same time. And that's, we ought to be walking daily in a way where he says is worthy. That means it matches that. That's consistent with that. It's amazing how some things in the Bible, many of us grasp conceptually. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I believe in that. I get that. But really, this idea that Paul is getting to when he says walk worthy of it, which means that everything we do, the way we live daily actually matches that, it's amazing how many times that part actually seems to be missing. Would you agree with that? I mean, I get it. I've been there too. And so it's like he's saying, look, you know, it's not enough to understand this, this concept. It's not enough to agree with what I'm saying. It's not enough to give me a couple amens and say, yeah, brother, preach it. That sounds good. What I'm interested in is that if you look at your life every single day, that the way you're actually walking and living 
it, it exemplifies that. I could see evidence of that. I could point to it and say, yes, that person is actually walking consistently in a way that Jesus has really called us to walk and live as a people, as a church, as children of God. And so when he says, I beseech you, look, he's not just trying, he's, he's saying, man, I have, I have got to get this point across. You've got to hear me. And I love it because he says something in the very beginning of the verse. He says, I therefore, key word here, therefore. Therefore is a transitional statement. So when you see that, then you can always revert back and look at what he said prior to that because therefore is, is basically like saying I'm connecting the dots here. I want you to see what I said, and then I want you to begin to see what I'm getting ready to say, and these things are connected. I'm, therefore, I'm connecting the dots. And guess what he says right before that? A very popular verse that I, I, many of us probably know by heart, but it's in Ephesians 3.20, where it says, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think or ask according to the power and the spirit that works in us. So what he's saying is that this whole thing that I'm going to talk about, this unity, this walking and living and in, 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 in long-suffering and in, in bearing with one another in love, like I've given you the power, there's the ability, there's the strength there to do this because you can't do this in your own strength. So have hope because Ephesians 3.20 is connected to Ephesians 4.1 through 6, and there's a therefore in between which says God's able to do exceedingly more than you could ever think or ask by the Spirit that works in us. So it's not by our ability or our strength that we're going to be able to walk in this unity. It's actually by the Spirit of God in His church, empowering His church and her members individually to function in the way that He's calling and employing us to function, which would be worthy of the, of the actual calling that's on our lives. Is that amazing? And so he says, so then he says, walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. And then he goes into some, some qualities like how this ought to look if we're going to do this well. And he uses the words lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, and then bearing with one another in love. So these are, these are qualities. These are characteristics of the way we walk. These are fruits that kind of come out of our life that are conducive to unity, that are uh, contributing and, and cultivating and nurturing to a culture of unity if we're all walking this way. This is the test point. This is the evidence point. Like if we lack these, then we could say we lack really walking in consistency with contributing toward a culture of unity, which we're called to. And so long lowliness is another word for humility. It's, it's humility. It's walking in a state of humility, which is preferring others. It's it's a hard place to get to in our flesh because really the flesh has to be under subjection to the spirit because the flesh doesn't want this, but humility is preferring others, which means I'm actually more concerned, I'm more interested in, in the well-being of others than I really am for myself. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. I'm willing to be inconvenienced myself. I'm willing to be put out myself if it means that somehow I'm helping to contribute to the well-being of other people. And it's just not a natural way the flesh wants to live, and it never will be. And so there has to be a sense where God's power, God's spirit has to be working through us, which it ought to be, in order to truly walk this way. But we know that we, we need to be mindful of when there's needs and there's just other people that we're connected with. We're not trying to, let me take care of myself first. Let me make sure I have everything that I need. That's 
that's kind of like maybe world or culture thinking. It's, it's really about, hey, let me make sure I'm thinking about others. Let me think, may be mindful of what's happening outside of me first. And then we trust and know by faith that we will never go without and we will never lack. Isn't that interesting? We can't work. We, I'm gonna, the, the world's way of thinking is I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to get myself to a place where I'm stable, I'm secure, and then maybe I can help other people. But the, the, the God's way of looking at this is uh, you walk in humility. So, you're, no, you're, you're mindful of other people. You're mindful of the rest of the body. You're mindful of the people outside of you. And, and then you meet those needs as I lead you. You, you help other people as I lead you. And, and then you know and trust and faith you're never going to actually be without. You're never going to be lacking anything. You're always going to be provided for and taken care of. right? But see, here's the point. Lowliness or humility is one of these things. When we don't walk that way, it doesn't cultivate, it doesn't nurture that powerful bond of unity that Paul is talking about. But when we do, it actually, it's like a catalyst. It's like, a, it's like an adhesive, a bonding, a strengthening that's just building and fortifying this, this bond of unity that he's talking about in the body of Christ powerful he says gentleness right gentleness is is kind of like mild tempered and mild spirited uh self-controlled it's it's not uh flying off the handle at people it's not you know getting angered easily it's not getting upset when you're put out man i learned a long time ago if i was going to have an issue and i was going to get mad when when i got put out and i got inconvenienced i was going to be mad all the time it's just the way that it goes, right? Um, but, but he's saying, look, you got to be mild-spirited and self-controlled. If, if we blow up easily or if we get upset or we get short-tempered or you know, we get angry with other people very easily, then that's only going to break down the bonds of unity that we're trying to strive to build, that we're contending to see happen in the body of Christ. He says... Uh, Lowliness, he says, long suffering, which long suffering is like a, a, a resolved kind of patience. It's an enduring patience, and uh, <laughs> this is this is how I view this, and this is a tough one. But it's not being easily offended by things, you know. And we live in a world today where, like. I'm probably offending 15 million people just by what I'm wearing or something today. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like people get so offended. It's like, oh, I'm going to be offended by that. I'm going to be offended by that. I'm, it's like, you know, take your pick. I mean, what do you want to pick up as an offense and carry with you? Like, my gosh, you know. Um, but can I tell you something? That'll kill unity in the body of Christ, and it will weigh you down in walking in your purpose. Like, you've got to detach. Like, people are people. People are messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. We're all messed up, okay? Get over it. <laughs> all right? Deal with it. I, you go spend a week with me somewhere. I'm going to pee. I'm going to tick you off, man. I know I am. I guarantee it. Let's just settle it up front, all right? But don't be offended at me. And don't carry an offense towards me over it, right? And, and, and vice versa. Like, we, we ought to be, we're, we're called to a higher calling, folks, you know? And we got to say, look, there's things that are going to happen that are going to irritate me, that are going to irritate you. Yeah, that's all going to happen. But the moment that it starts to settle in as an offense and we walk around offended, the enemy has now succeeded. 
and it's a perfect little seed of discord that he wants to sow. If I can keep people offended. In fact, the Bible says in, in a place in Proverbs, it refers to uh, contentions and strife and offenses is like the bars of a castle. So guess what? When you carry an offense around, guess who's really trapped? Guess who's really the prisoner? It's you. You create walls around you, and you create bars, and you basically imprison yourself. Because carrying offenses doesn't do anything except break down that spiritual health and condition of you, right? Because it builds strife. And think about this. This is an unreal. But when, when we carry offenses and then there's strife between us and other people and, and it just grows, it, it, it literally just deteriorates the whole person. It, it's, it gets in there and it breaks down the spiritual health and, and vitality and energy of the person and hope and joy and the spiritual part. It breaks down the, the mind because all the thoughts get contaminated and get tainted and you start thinking bad things. You start dwelling on this more than you ever need to be. And then it ultimately even affects the physical man because so much of what happens in, this, in the spirit and in the mind has been proven that all of the wrong chemicals and all of the wrong things the body is supposed to function begin to get thrown off out of whack and then muscles deteriorate. The physical condition of the person actually breaks down. There are more physical problems today, health-related, that when you get right down to it, always end up linking back to stress, anxiety, strife, offenses, all these types of things that literally decay the whole person slowly and erode the whole person over time. I mean, we just can't afford to be a people who are easily offended, right? You just have to, you just have to get past that. Long-suffering is like, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to be patient with people. I'm just going to know that people are people. I'm not going to take it personally. If somebody does something that, you know, puts me out or, or is disrespectful to me, I'm just going to know they probably didn't really mean it. Or there's probably more to the picture than I, I see. There always is. And you just kind of take this position like, I need to resolve it. I maybe need to confront it, but I'm not going to get offended by it, right? And so trust me, man. Being in a place of long-suffering is so good for our soul. we got to stay in that place. He says, bearing with uh, one another in love. Bearing in one another with love. And it's just, that means it's just, it's continuous. It's never uh, interrupted. And it is unconditional. It's, it's really unconditional. If Jesus said, love others as I have loved you, how was his love? What did it look like? Was it conditional? Thank God it's not, Right? Agreed? Thank God it's not. And so if he says, love others as I have loved you, how ought our love to look? Unconditional. And so when we're loving each other, it's, it, but, but, but too many times, it's like, I'm going to love up until, you know, and then it's like, all right, enough's enough. I've had no, no more loving. It's time to be, it's time to, you know, get on and, and, and we deal with this thing with anger or uh, with just kind of a bitterness or whatever and a crassness or something like that says, okay, you know, I'm going to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I settle this. I'm going to have my way with this thing. And then we just like try to be you know, sort of like relational bulldozers and just like plow through each other or whatever to, to deal with things. And he's like saying, look, you, know, you just have to, you have to bear with one another in love always. It's, it's unconditional and it's continuous. It never changes. You know? And look, these are, again, thank God for Ephesians 3.20 because these are tall things to ask of the flawed, imperfect, the human person, right? But there's a power that works in us, guys, that's greater than the strength or abilities that we carry in our physical man. 
That's why God says in his word, he says, not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, that's where your strength and where the empowerment actually comes from. It's not by your strength or your might. It's by the spirit of God working in you. And the spirit of God is a, is a, is a cohesive working for unity all the time. So fruits like long-suffering, uh, uh, bearing with each other in love, gentleness, they're all Produced, they're all empowered and actually able to be uh, birthed because the Spirit of God is empowering those who walk according to that. And so um, these are all things that are huge toward unity. But then he goes on, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So endeavoring to keep is like, is like striving for. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you, if you don't set your sights on this, if you don't make this important, it's not going to just automatically happen. It's not just going to occur. You've got to set this as a goal up front. You know, I've had uh, a lot of conversations or things where we'll sit down. Uh, maybe it's some people who are having marital issues or just relationship issues in general, whatever. And this is always what I try to figure out up front. Our both of you or whoever's involved, are you both committed to reconciliation? Are you both committed to healing? Like before we get into any of your issues, any of the things, is that really what you both want and desire to see happen? Because if that's not really what people want, if their goal isn't set to resolve, to heal, to reconcile up front, there's very little hope, truthfully, very little hope. But if you say, no, no matter what, like I want, we want to reconcile this. So here's the point, like in our relationships, anytime there are little things that come up that, that might be, have the ability to create disunity, we have to step back first from the situation, set our sights on the fact that I am, gonna, I am, I am about unity and I am about reconciliation uh, and healing above all things. That's the goal. So now we can come in and we can kind of deal with the little things that are happening. If you don't make that the objective and you come in and you just try to deal with the things that are bothering you or bothering them or wherever the disunity may be starting to occur, it gets very messy and it gets very difficult to navigate through. you got to have your sights set on the fact that, look, unity, endeavor to keep the unity. Strive at all costs. Fight for unity. Fight against disunity. Make it your high focus. Make it the aim in everything that you engage in relationally with people in the body of Christ. You have to. Otherwise, it will not just happen on its own. And then he says here, it says, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity uh, in the bond of peace. And you know, Jesus, gosh, I'm out of time. Dang. All right. I'm sorry about that. I got so much more. Um, okay. Jesus says something that's very interesting. He prays something in John chapter 17. I guess I'm just going to end with this. He says, he's, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's making his final prayers before he's taken captive. You know, he prays for himself to be able to receive the strength to endure what he's getting ready to endure. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all of us. And he prays a prayer in verses 20 through 23 that speak exactly to what we're talking about today. So we'll read this. In verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, meaning his disciples, 
But for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe you sent me. See, it's really pretty obvious. It's pretty clear from what Jesus is saying and from what we see happening in the world that if the church isn't unified, it's not a credible witness to unbelievers. It, it, it doesn't bring forth evidence of God's word and of the way that he's really empowered people to live. If they look and see of people who are professing Christ, but all at odds and at strife and, and divided, just like Jesus said, he said, I pray that they would be one, Father, as I and you and you and me, that they would be one so that they would be unified, so that the world would believe that you sent me. He absolutely connects unity to the witness and the testimony and the credibility of, of, the, of what Jesus did on the cross. He absolutely connects the gospel to unity in the body. It's powerful. He said that the world may believe that you sent me. No wonder Paul says, Man, I beseech you to strive and endeavor to keep unity and, and squash out discord at all costs, no matter what, in the body and be a unified people. No wonder, because it is such an element of the credibility of the witness of the message that we're really about carrying forth all along to begin with. And we want that message to be effective. We want more people to know Jesus and to be a part of the kingdom. And that, that's why Jesus said, look, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It cannot stand. Like this unity will break down the work that the church is meant to do here on the earth. Discord that the enemy sows seeds of, if it's allowed to take root and grow and infect the body of Christ, will deteriorate the credibility of the very witness that leads to an eternal life for people. That's a huge deal, folks. That's a huge deal, right? Stand to your feet with me today. And I want you to think about it like this. So much that I didn't get a chance to get into. But he kind of wraps up with saying, you know, there's, there's one body, the, the body of Christ. There's really one flock, many folds, I guess, but one flock, really. There's one church. One body, one hope, one spirit, one God, one Father, one Lord. It's, it's all these things, right? On a big picture, I guess, without breaking all those down, think about it like this. We, we unite as people around a lot of very temporal things. Like if we were to say, who still loves the Rams and who can't stand the Rams? Like, you know, we would probably see these people are all, yeah, high five, I love you, brother, yeah, you know, get on the same page. And then you see people over here. You see, we're united around the fact that we live in Waterloo, Illinois. I mean, we're united around by, by proximity and by all these different kinds of things that we find unity in, you know? And that's good. We're saying, listen, I am uniting my people. My plan for my church is that they are united by things that will last forever eternal things and it just sets it in perspective for me if I find reasons to be at odds or have disunity with people in the body relational challenges or whatever it might be 
I got to step back and say, wait a minute. We're actually really all united around something, the Spirit of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the great hope of eternity. We're all united around something that's going to last forever. All that other stuff is not. So what's the bigger vision? What's the bigger picture? The bigger picture is that thing that lasts forever, that keeps us knitted, that keeps us bonded. Because when things are knitted, look, if they tear, if a garment tears that's knitted, like every piece of the garment is damaged. You don't walk away with some good stuff. It's all damaged. Like when strife occurs and disunity happens, like we all suffer from that. It affects everybody in the body. And so what's our aim, our strive, is that we need to be a people who very much are about the focus, about the fact that we are contending for, we are contributing towards unity in the body of the Christ so that the church may function as a powerful force. The strength of the whole is greater than the strength of the parts that she's really intended to for the ultimate greater picture, the, the big vision of that the kingdom of heaven could be advanced. If the kingdom of heaven is advanced, it my challenges that I deal with, I need to be able to overcome those. I need to be able to work through that. I need to be able to set that stuff aside and, and work through that because we're, we're, we're working to build a, a bigger picture of the kingdom of God and of eternity here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you, Lord, that you have created your people and your church to be a people who are unified, who are bonded together and knitted together, sharpening and strengthening one another. And I especially thank you, Lord, that you don't ask us to do this in our own strength, that you don't expect us to figure our way out through this thing on our own, that you actually give us your spirit and you give us your word and you empower us and you lead us and you guide us to actually be able to carry this out. Help us be a people who are uh, absolutely relentless about unity in your body, God, and that we are living daily in a way that's worthy, that's matching, that's consistent with the life of an individual member who is promoting and cultivating and nurturing uh, an atmosphere of unity, a spirit of unity all the time amongst, amongst your people. And we just ask that because of that, you would use us and, and help us to be able to reach more who can hear the gospel, reach more who can know you. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name.